I have been particularly ready for Easter this year. There's been something in me that perhaps more than any year I can remember has hungered for the good news that Easter brings to us. Uh, partly because the news that is out in the world around us right now is, is so often not particularly good. I, I was disheartened this week, as I imagine some of you were as well, by the news that one of the uh, former presidents, uh, the first daughters, uh, had been expelled from Harvard because of a, of a drug abuse situation. It just struck me as such a sad uh, event in the life of such a promising young person. And I know that, that it was not a lot happier on the other side of the aisle either this week. Uh, you may have uh, read the news that the famed Crayola uh, crayon company had decided to retire the, the dandelion yellow color um, because, and it's wacky, but school children in large numbers had been using that crayon to draw somewhat unflattering pictures of our current president. And apparently the White House put a little pressure on the company, and they just thought, the company like, listen, we need unity in our country right now. Uh, we'll just let the dandelion color go. Speaking of hair, you, you may have seen the website announcement that uh, conclusive research has now come out that, that women with uh, chemically treated hair uh, actually have a much lower incidence of self-esteem issues than women who do not color their hair or or just leave it natural, and if you own uh, stock in companies like Clairol and other hair products companies, you're in for a banner year once this research gets out there. And for those of you who are fans of, of Barney, the, the purple animal, and, uh, or maybe Arag the Aragon books, or for all the Game of Thrones fans out there, you'll be interested in the latest uh, news just coming out of Northern Iceland. Apparently, archaeologists there have, um, have found um, the remains, the skeletal remains of a huge reptilian creature that they estimate had a wingspan, it had wings, of something like 60 feet, which gives all kinds of new credence to, to those people that have always believed that once upon a time there be dragons. There were dragons out there someplace. Now, some of you about now are wondering, what is he talking about? What? <laughs> I thought we came to a, an Easter service. What do all these stories have to do with Easter? What do these stories all have in common, actually? Well, what they have in common is that each one of them came out on some media outlet this month. And each of them went viral, uh, got passed on to all kinds of people around the world, and each and every one of them spurred other stories, a whole cascade of follow-up stories and new items related to the first items. And the other thing they have in common is each and every single one of those stories is a lie. It, it, it's founded on a lie, something that didn't happen. It was something that was invented for entertainment purposes. Or it was uh, created as clickbait to get you to go to some marketing site. Or it was a tool of somebody that was trying to push an ideological or partisan agenda. We've got a lot of bad news and we've got a lot of fake news in our world today, uh, which begs the question, I think, particularly given what we're doing today, uh, is Easter 
news like this? Is, is Easter really a story like this? Just so much fake news, uh, a fantasy, something that was invented to bolster some religious group's ideas? Uh, because it strikes me that it, if it is a hoax, uh, if it's something that didn't really happen, then we would be wise to figure that out now so that we don't have to get up quite so early on Sundays anymore and can hit the restaurants earlier or go on to the soccer game or whatever it may be. Uh, and so that's the question I want to pose to you today. Uh, is Easter uh, just fake news? Now, I need to tell you that there were people way back in the very first century when these events were just unfolding that were actually quite skeptical about this whole resurrection thing in the first place. Uh, in fact, a reporter tells us that after the execution of Jesus, the local religious authorities, the Jewish authorities at that time, went to the Roman governor uh, of Israel, a man named Pilate, and said, Sir, we remember that while he, meaning Jesus, was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he has been raised from the dead. Pilate answered, take a guard. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. In other words, we're going to make darn sure that there is no chance that there's any kind of event that could possibly support this whole thing turning into what? Fake news. Then, a little further along in the narrative, on Easter morning, some women go to the tomb of Jesus. This is the part you know best. To their shock, they get to this garden tomb and they discover that this the huge stone that had been rolled in front of the entrance to the tomb, something that took multiple people to move, uh, it has actually been rolled away. And when they peer inside, to their absolute astonishment, the body of Jesus is actually gone. And what has been left behind are these grave clothes, the, the, the cloths in which he had been wrapped, left behind sort of like a chrysalis that some new kind of life has emerged from. And in place of the hired guards who were supposed to be standing there and weren't, there were now two gleaming messengers who say this, Why do you look for the living among the dead? For he is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, that he must be crucified and on the third day be raised again. So the women went and told all these things to the 11, the 11 disciples. Remember, Judas is gone by now. There's only 11 of them left. And to all of the others, but they did not believe the women. This is the crucial part I want you to, to drill in on. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Why did they seem like nonsense? 
Uh, Why was this such an unbelievable story? Uh, These are the disciples of Jesus, the ones who followed him. Well, here's what I, I think. It's because when you have seen somebody that you love as they love Jesus, Uh, flayed 39 times by a cat of nine tails, the kind of weapon that rips flesh in great strips off of the skeleton, the back of the human being. And then you've seen this same individual forced to carry a railroad tie on his shoulder and drag it with him through the streets of a jeering city and all the way up a a hillside outside of town, and you've watched as he goes down on the ground and is laid out on the wood, and they drive iron spikes through his hands and his feet, and you see them then lift him up and jerk that post down as as he's wretched and wrenched against the sky, and then you see him hang there for hour upon hour upon hour in the hot sun with no relief of any kind. And then you have seen a spear, a Roman spear, rammed through his innards and yanked out again. And you watch him brought down and laid out on the ground, stone cold dead. And you see him then mummified as they wrap these fabric strips around him interlaced with spices and he's bound up tight like a baby being swaddled can't possibly move and you see him laid in a grave there's one thing you do not expect to ever see him get up again nobody in history ever got up again after going through an experience like that And even if somebody had somehow survived the ordeal of the cross and the scourging before that and and somehow managed to survive for a period of time, several days inside of a a tomb, there's no way they can undo the wrappings. I mean, this is a prison in itself, much less move some kind of giant stone and get out of that place. And they're not going to stop and take the time to, to leave behind the grave clothes and walk out naked someplace. And there's just no way that the grave ro- robber theory is, is an answer either because no grave robber is going to get past heavily armed, well-trained Roman guards who upon pain of death have to keep this tomb secure. So the disciples are thinking to themselves, the body of Jesus definitely can't be gone, as the women are saying, and it certainly cannot be alive. That's nonsense. This has to be what? Fake news. What they're hearing is just obviously fake news. The question I want to pose is, what if it wasn't? What if it was not? Fake news. I'm reminded of the story of the, of the group of guys that w- were attending the funeral of one of their best buddies. Uh, they were at the wake stage of the proceeding. They'd gone to this funeral home, and the casket was there. It was open. Their friend was lying out in the casket and lines of people were filing by paying their respects to the family and to the deceased and these guys got into a conversation and and they said you know life is short um we really got to think about what it is we're living for what would you like people to say about you uh when 
when it's you that's in that casket, what would you want people to be talking about? One of the guys says, boy, you know, I hope that they'll talk about the great work I did in this world. As you guys know, I, I, I've had a reasonably successful career, but it's not the money that matters so much to me. It's the thought of what a difference I was able to make for good in this world. And I'm going to hope that people will talk about that and remember that. One of the other guys said, you know, for me, it's, it all comes down to family. You know, I hope that when people are standing in a place like this, what they're talking about is what a faithful husband I was, what a good dad I was, how much I loved my family, and how much they loved me. And the third guy said, you know, on this day, when that day comes for me, I, I hope somebody is going to look over at the casket and say, hey, look, he's moving, he's getting up. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't like it if it turned out that there was a, 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 a life stronger even than the death towards which every one of us is moving? And, 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 that, and that death, we knew that that death was not going to be able to finally hold us down. Who wouldn't like that? Who wouldn't love it if this, this, this wild theory that the Gospels hold out, that there is a grace that is greater than all of the sin that you've ever committed in your life uh, was true, that all those things that you know about, that God knows about, that not even your best friends or your closest family members know you've done, you've thought, you've committed, what if it was true that that wouldn't ultimately be held against you? What if there was a love in this universe deeper than you've ever dared dream possible and that love could fill up your life and change your character and make you a force for love in this world that needs change in so many ways? What if that wasn't fake news? What if all of that was true? Would you like that? Would you really like that? I would like that. I think wouldn't we all? On Easter afternoon, as the time rolled on, two men left the city of Jerusalem. Uh, they were making their way back towards uh, Emmaus, the town they lived in, about seven miles uh, walking journey from, from Jerusalem. And there were a lot of other people on the Emmaus road that day. And as they were going along, um, a, a stranger sidled up alongside of them and said, you know, what are you guys doing? And inquired about them. And they told him about the events of the past days. And we read in the scriptures, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened in the city. And, and, and what they said was that they had been um, fans and actually erstwhile followers of this rabbi from Nazareth that everybody had been talking about. Uh, they, they went on to describe how uh, he had impressed them so powerfully by the insight of his teaching and by the uh, powerful works of grace he did in the lives of other people and, and by just the way he moved through life, just the way he rolled through life was so unusual and beautiful and good that they began to think to themselves that maybe he's the real deal. Maybe this Jesus man is actually the Messiah that the Old Testament scriptures had been pointing towards and promising for so long. Maybe he was the Savior. 
Maybe he was the savior who had the power and grace and love that everyone was searching for. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel, they said. We'd hoped he was the one who would bring the power for renewal and restoration and liberation and revolution and resurrection that Israel needed at that time. How many of us, even in our time, wish there was a power to redeem America, to unite us as a people, to, to, to galvanize and, and catalyze our energies behind the things that could make a better world, not just for us, but for those around the planet that look to this country. All we hope that he could be the one who would redeem even our nation. But Cleopas, one of the travelers that day and his friend, went on to describe to the stranger how this Messiah they had been following, this Jesus had met such an awful, agonizing kind of end, and, and yet strangely how this morning some women had gone to his tomb and they had come back with this wild statement that was now a rumor beginning to move around amongst the followers of Jesus that somehow maybe he was alive. How, how could that be? And as the sun began to set and the strangers got to their destination and they, the, the two men asked this new man with them to stop in and just stay with them a while. As they broke bread together, the stranger began to unpack the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah and help them to see that there had been a promise that the one who would redeem would not do it by conventional means, but would give his life a ransom for many. And as they're sitting with him, suddenly the eyes of the two travelers are opened up and they realize that they are in the presence and have been for hours in the presence of Jesus. And he is alive. And these two guys are not the only ones who experience this. Because now Mary and the other women who had gone to the tomb and had first seen just an empty place, they meet Jesus in the flesh. And, and the 11 disciples encounter him not just once or even twice, but multiple times. And even Thomas, who's so completely unbelieving of what he is even seeing with his eyes, demands that he touch the actual wounds in the hands of Jesus, and he falls on his knees. My Lord and my God, he says. And later on, uh, other groups of people encounter Jesus, and a crowd of something like 500 people see what they can obviously tell is Jesus alive, all seeing him at one time. And in perhaps the most amazing encounter of all, the, the most notorious Christ-hater in Israel at that time, a, a, a ruthless Pharisee by the name of Saul, has an encounter with Jesus. He's on his way to try and round up another group of the cult of Jesus and put them to death or put them in prison as he'd done with dozens of others of them. And as he's on the road to Damascus, the risen Christ appears to him and it is so convincing, the encounter, it transforms him. 
And, and Saul becomes the Apostle Paul. And the encounter lights the fire of the early church. And, and a wave of new hope begins to move out across the world and it changes lives at every social strata. It invades even the house of the emperor himself. It overturns Roman civilization. It transforms the world into what we now know as Western civilization. It extends dignity to women. It frees slaves. It advances economic prosperity. It creates freedoms untold before. It structures by its principles democratic societies. And it reaches down this wave of grace one day to the church in which you're now sitting and stretches out its hand to take hold of your life and my life. A Sunday school teacher was, was with her students one day and she decided to give them assignment. She said, I want you to, to take one of these little cards and I, I want you just to complete this sentence. Easter means to me dot, dot, dot. What does Easter mean to me? Easter means to me dot, dot, dot. What might you have put on that card if you were one of those kids? One of the kids wrote down enthusiastically, Easter means to me jelly beans and egg salad sandwiches for the next two weeks. I want you to think about whether you could improve on that. I want you to think about what you might fill in the blank with, and before this day is out, share that with somebody else. Uh, find out how others understand Easter. To paraphrase the great C.S. Lewis, Easter, if false, is of no importance. Easter, if it's false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. That's not a real option if you think about it. Because if, if, if Easter is just fake news, then you can pretty much do whatever you want with Christianity because Christianity is entirely based on Easter. There have been a million ethical teachers and nice guys and gals that have walked around that provide a nice role model for us. But the distinctive thing about Christianity is that Jesus claims to be God. He claims to be the one upon whose life we can count, whose sacrifice can absolutely fix things for us, whose, whose word can be our dependable guide and light in life, who, whose power extends beyond. If, if that's not true, if the resurrection, which authenticates who Jesus really is, isn't true, then you can take Christianity lightly, please. I mean, pick whichever beliefs you like. Discard the inconvenient ones. Build your own buffet religion if you like. Give up religion. Become an, be an atheist if you want. It doesn't matter. None of this stuff matters. Because... The end result, if Easter is fake news, is that when you go into that box in that funeral home, you're not moving. 
ever. And all of us are going into the box of one kind or another. And that's it. All that we've piled up, all that we've tried to achieve, it's done. It's over. All the love relationships cut off forever. If Easter isn't true, then the notion that you can be cosmically forgiven of your sins or see the losses of your life somehow one day redeemed is hooey. It ain't happening. It goes in the ground with you. All that stuff goes in the ground with you. It's unfixed. It's unredeemed. And if Easter isn't true, then frankly, we're just going to have to depend on science and government to fix everything for us. How's that going, by the way? Um, <laughs> or we're going to have to just go after enough entertainments or libations to anesthetize ourselves while it keeps going to pot. You know? So let's just be honest. If Easter is fake news, then it's just where we're sitting right now. But if Easter isn't just fake news... Uh, there's a different reality implied. And it is much more than moderately important, if you think about it. It means there is a life stronger than death. And you do not need to be afraid as your body breaks down, as you lose the capacities you once cherished. You do not need to be afraid that that hole in the ground is your end. It's just your doorway into a greater kind of life than you've ever dreamed possible. Uh, you don't even need to be worried about some of the people you've seen go there before you. They've known Jesus. They're waiting for you on the other side. If Easter is true, it means there is a grace that's greater than any loss, any failure that you have experienced in life, the redeeming work that Jesus did on the cross, it covered your sin. It canceled it. It washed it, its implications, its guilt away. You can start all over again today, right now. This can be the first day, and every day you get up, you can turn to God for forgiveness for what has gone wrong in the day before and find a totally new start because of his redeeming grace. If Easter is true, it proves there is a love deeper than we even dared imagine, one that would cross eternity to come to us, to walk in our world, to give up its life for us on a cross, and to come back from the grave to tell us not to give up hope. And that love can fill us up. It can change our lives like it did Peter's life and Mary's life and Paul's life and so many others down across changed my life. It changed my life dramatically. And that love is available to work in you and through you as we together work to change the world after the image of the kingdom of God. So what do you think? What does Easter really mean to you? One of my very favorite films of this past year was uh, the movie Arrival. It got uh, nominated for some uh, Oscars. Uh, it was a, a, a science fiction film. Um, its star was Amy Adams, 
and uh, she played a, a, a linguistic scientist, a, a, a genius around the subject of language and communication. And, and the whole setting for the film is that this gigantic, mysterious alien presence has suddenly descended to the earth and is hovering uh, o o over the earth. And uh, most of the people uh, on the planet are responding like it's the Independence Day movie, okay? They're gearing up the military weaponry and they're, and they're, they're, they're sure it's doomsday arriving and, and uh, there's a, a growing consensus that, that whatever this alien presence is up there ain't good. It's come to, to take our planet, to destroy us, to control us, to do something awful to us. And so everybody begins to arm up and get ready to destroy this thing before it destroys us. But Amy Adams' character has a different theory. And as she interacts with this arrived presence, she begins to think, what if, if this entity is not here to destroy us, but to bless us? What if this is humanity's opportunity to commune with an intelligence and a power far beyond anything we've ever had before? What if it's come actually to help us? It's come from the future to equip us. And, and that leap of faith she takes in that direction, the decisions she makes to, 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 to put her life behind that idea and exercise a leadership in her world that turns the opinions of others so that they do not reject what's been uh, offered to them but embrace that utterly transforms human history for the next millennia, transforms it for the good. I hope you see where I'm going here. I hope you're understanding that what we do with the God who has arrived in Jesus Christ matters more than moderately. It matters infinitely. And I know that that's, for some of you listening to me today, it's hard to get that. I, I get this. I mean, some of you who are sitting in here, you got dragged here. You didn't want to be here. I mean, really, you didn't. I mean, this Easter thing, uh, you know, you can put up with it. I guess I can put up with it once a year. Thank goodness it's just once a year. Maybe I'll be back at Christmas if I have to. But, but honestly, I don't even think I believe in God, much less this whole resurrection thing. Or maybe you're just thinking to yourself, you know, if I open myself up to, to this Jesus obsession, you know, I'm going to get drawn into some kind of religion with rules and boredom, and, and I'm going to lose out so much if I do that. I get that. I was in that seat myself uh, for the earlier part of my life, I, so I respect that. But, but because I also care for you, uh, let me invite you into a simple betting process, if I may. Let me invite you to consider what is known as Pascal's Wager. Blaise Pascal was a brilliant 17th century um, scientist, a great intellect. And um, his contributions to the fields of mathematics, economics, physics, social sciences are still making a ripple effect, still have a dent 
in those same disciplines today. A genius of a man. And Pascal said that everyone needs to decide what to do about God, this whole idea of God. And, and everybody ought to take that decision-making process really seriously because its implications are more than moderately important, Pascal said. There are big stakes here. And this is how Pascal put it. He said, if you believe in the God of Easter and he turns out to exist, then you will have had a life that uh, gained from all of the blessings of worshiping and knowing and following this God and allowing his influence into your life and to move through your life during your days here on earth. And when you die... You go to heaven and you go into a larger universe of his grace and his love. And it's an infinite benefit if that's what you bet on. Pascal then goes on to say, if, if you don't believe in God, and it turns out he exists, then you will have missed out on the opportunity of what that incredible intelligence and power and love could have offered you in this life or done through your life, and you won't be going to heaven when you die. You will face, he, God will let you have your way into eternity, separated from him, which is infinite loss if, if you don't embrace God and he turns out to exist. If you follow the way of Jesus, and this is the third part I think is even more interesting, if you follow the way of Jesus, and God does not exist, then you have gotten for yourself an even more beautiful life, a, a likely a far more virtuous life, maybe even more intimate friendships and impact for good in this world than if you had not followed the way of Jesus. And, and when you die, you lose nothing that you wouldn't have already lost in the end. In other words, those who believe in the God of Easter have everything to gain and nothing to lose. And those who reject Easter as just fake news have everything to lose and nothing to gain. That's the wager. That's the bet. So here's the good news with which I'll close. And I hope this is going to make a difference in your life. I hope this is going to make such a difference you'll keep coming back to this church or to some other community of Christ followers wherever you go from here. Uh, the greatest intelligence and goodness in the universe has arrived. He came for you and for me to bless us to help us along this journey, to make the most of life on this planet Earth. He's come to offer you a life that is stronger than death, a grace that is greater than sin, a love that is deeper than anything you would ever imagined before. And he came to this Earth and he came back from the grave on Easter to reveal to you what he's like, who he is, and to pour out his good influence in your life and through it. The question is, what will you do with the invitation he's extended? How will you make your bet? 
What does this Easter mean for you? And what will it mean a week from now? I pray that it will be about more than some stale jelly beans and lots of egg salad. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we remember your words. Come unto me, all you who are tired from carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. We remember how you said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We remember how you showed us on Easter morning that you are the resurrection and the life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And so, each of us today makes our choice. And many of us, we pray, Lord, follow you. In Christ's name. And all God's people said.